Today on Ag News Daily. So worldwide, it, it, it looks good. We have foreign buyers of oil who have markets uh, for vegetable oil. It's, it's a cooking oil. Uh, that has been one of the strongest demands for oil. Today on Ag News Daily. Good afternoon and welcome to a Thursday installment of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined here by Delaney Howell. Delaney, I'm quite chilly today. It is maybe 20 degrees right now here in Lubbock. I went to take my dog out to use the restroom and for some reason my apartment complex thought it would be a good idea to have our sprinklers running. So I was kind of slipping and sliding on thin sheets of ice out there. Well, Ashton, we have to back up because you haven't told our listeners your story about getting a dog. Yes, it's a heartwarming story, I suppose. But a couple of weeks ago at the beginning of December, uh, my parents found a dog boarded up in our pig trailer one cold day. I guess he just took board in there with the shavings. But uh, we tried to call, you know, his previous owners from his microchip a couple of different times and we were not successful in locating them. So he is an adoptee, but he is living with me here now. He's a two-year-old old Australian shepherd. His name's Atlas. And I think he's already the love of my life. Well, dogs usually are. I understand. I have a 15 year old stinky old poodle and I still love him dearly. I don't know. All of the Snapchats you sent me about him just being right in your lap and all up in your space during work. <sighs> Always. <laughs> Yeah, mine is currently taking a nap. That's all he seems to like to do. Luckily, he's kind of out of the puppy phase. So all he likes to do is snuggle. He doesn't play a whole lot. I took him to the dog park for the first time the other day, and he just sat there looking at me. So, well, I totally understand how that goes. But uh, I tell you what, I don't have a ton of news for today, Ashton. Just wanted to give our listeners a quick update, though, on some Brazilian or South American weather, really, I should say, because we are continuing to watch that and markets are continuing to react to that news. But as far as weather forecasts go here in the next seven days, it's expected to be pretty hot and dry across some pretty key growing areas in especially uh, southern Brazil. But little wetness is also expected for Argentina as well. And really, there's been very little change in the last 60 days or so. So, you know, as we continue to watch this, they are expected to come online here. Harvest wise should be coming online at the end of February, but from all accounts so far, uh, wetness is a little bit hard to find in certain areas, but in other areas of the country, wetness across the extreme Northern parts is also causing issues. So much so that the first crop soybeans are maturing and harvest has begun up there. But aside from those folks dealing with some wet issues, like I said, there's a lot of folks more so dealing with dry weather issues. So certainly something to keep an eye on here as we do continue to see where things are going to shake out for the Brazil and Argentinian corn and soybean crops. But I wanted to make a quick note, you know, Paraná, which is an area that usually produces about 16% of Brazil's corn and soybeans, has been getting some scattered showers, and they are expected to get some scattered showers as well. So that's kind of the question mark 
in analysts' minds right now is because this area is such a key growing region and they are expected to get rain, you know, will that be enough to make up for those areas that are getting extreme rain and or no rain? So yet to be seen. Well, Delaney, I don't have anything weather related, but I do have something that is pandemic related. And I think we probably have at least one piece of pandemic related news every podcast. But this one, I think, is a little bit different from the typical pieces of COVID-19 news that we talk about. And it's really talking about how agritourism is changing because of the pandemic. And it might not be what you think because Hugh McPherson, who runs Maze Quest Fun Park at Maple Lawn Farms that's based in Pennsylvania, says that owners aren't charging enough for their products and services when it comes to agritourism. He says that many agritourism owners underestimate the value of the family experiences that they offer. Because of the pandemic, McPherson says consumers have a new perspective and now more than ever, they are willing to pay for fun. So he is encouraging producers to reevaluate the products and services that they offer and capitalize on their true value. And I thought that was just a little bit interesting because I feel like when we talk about things changing because of the pandemic, it's usually, you know, some negative news, not for the better, but it sounds like agritourism is having you know, a a transformation of sorts and people are becoming more interested in going out to farms and things of that nature. So I just thought it was pretty interesting. I agree. And I think that there are a lot of producers that are trying to think outside of the box and agritourism definitely is one of the ways to do that, to bring in some additional revenue streams for their farm. And that's certainly interesting to note that. But Ashton, switching tracks a little bit here, you know, one industry that continues to have a difficult time making a profit has always been the dairy industry. And dairy has been a large factor, was a large factor when we saw the renegotiation of the USMCA agreement because of the dairy rate or dairy tariff rate quotas, which was a large point of contention between the US and Canada. Well, just over a year and a half later, since the new agreement went into effect, the U.S. has officially won its first challenge over dairy, which was announced by U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai early on, or excuse me, on Tuesday afternoon. She said that there was a panel that decided in a dispute settlement proceeding brought under the USMCA that The panel concluded Canada had breached its USMCA commitments by, quote, reserving most of the in-quota quantity in its dairy tariff rate quotas for the exclusive use of Canadian processors. And so we saw quite a few folks, of course, congratulating the United States on this recent win, including current Secretary Vilsack, who, of course, has worked in the dairy industry previously before his current role as secretary. But uh, this historic win will help to eliminate unjustified trade restrictions essentially on American dairy products and will ensure that U.S. dairy producers and the industry and their workers get the full benefits of the USMCA to market and sell U.S. products to Canadian consumers. So as we know, it's been really hard to tap into that marketplace, and we certainly got a win based on the latest news here. So 
Well, you know, Delaney, I probably should have talked about this story back when you were talking about South America, but either way, I do have some news coming out of Brazil as they have been unable to unload wheat shipments at its keyport in Santos as ag tax collectors protest as part of a campaign for higher wages. One of the vessels was unloaded, but the shipment was not yet cleared by officials while the other one needs to wait for these procedures to be concluded so it can discharge. So not a whole lot, you know, coming out of Brazil there, but I thought it was interesting because, of course, we have continuously talked about some protests that are going on really all across the world right now. And this is just another one that has really popped into the news wires today. Yeah, I saw this piece of news as well, Ashton. And, you know, Brazil is one of the world's largest wheat importers, but they did just finish up a record wheat crop, harvesting a record wheat crop. So it's still pretty unclear if these delayed shipments, delayed unloads will have any impact and if so, what those impacts are. But certainly interesting to see yet again, another uh, another protest going on down there in Brazil, because they certainly have had their fair share of them, that is for sure. But Ash and I have just one other quick piece of news here before we chat markets, and that is a new crop insurance policy for what is called split apply nitrogen. Corn growers in 11 different states will be able to apply for this crop insurance coverage this year for a practice that reduces nutrient runoff according to the USDA's Risk Management Agency. Now, essentially what it sounds like this policy does is it covers yield losses if bad weather prevents growers from making multiple applications of nitrogen fertilizer during key parts of the growing season. Because this split apply nitrogen can essentially reduce nitrogen runoff and lower fertilizer costs compared with the common practice of applying just a single large dose of fertilizer before or during planting. So I don't have a ton of other information on that. Your local FSA office or your crop insurance agent can probably answer more of the nitty gritty questions for you. Might be a good interview we have here on the podcast coming up. But the states that are able to apply for this crop insurance policy are basically the Midwestern states, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. Well, Delaney, I just have one other piece of news to share as well before we head into markets here. And it's just a small update talking about bird flu. The UK Health Security Agency said earlier today that there has officially been a confirmed human case of avian flu in Southwest England. The agency added that the person had been in close contact with infected birds and there was no evidence of onward transmission. So the risk is apparently very low for a wider public spread of avian flu, but I just thought that I would go ahead and talk about that since I've been reporting a ton on bird flu here within the past couple of weeks. But with that, Delaney, I'm all ready to talk markets. Fantastic. Well, We certainly saw corn claw its way into some positive territory today after selling off yesterday somewhat, and soybeans had the inverse effect today after yesterday's pretty substantial gains. After Tuesday, we saw strength into yesterday and a little bit of weakness, a little correction 
heading into today's markets. But the March corn contract down up a penny and a half to close at 603 and three quarters. The May up one and three quarters cents, closing at 604 and a half. March soybeans today shed seven and a half cents, closing at 1387 and a quarter. The May down seven, closing at 1396. Hopping over into the wheat pits today, Chicago. Wheat down 14 and three quarters cents, closing at 746. The May down 15, closing at 749 and three quarters. Ashton, I got to tell you, I'm a little off today on my market reading game here. So I'm going to power through it here and finish up here as we hop over into the livestock which did see quite a bit of green on screen. February live cattle added a dime to close at 137.35. The April up 50 cents, closing at 142.45. In the feeder cattle pits today, we saw that strength continue as the Jan- as the March contract added a dollar ten, closing at 167.27. The April up a buck thirty, closing at 171.07. And in lean hogs, we saw that little nice rally continue into today with the February contract adding 67.5 cents, closing at 82.95. The April up 60, closing at 89.27 and a half. And lastly, wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures, showing weakness today. Shedding 75 cents in the February contract to close at 21.60. The March down three quarters as well to close at $21 on the nose. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's interview. Well, in honor of National Bean Day, we are talking to Brad Doyle about soybeans. Today, we are chatting with Brad Doyle, who is the ASA president. And it's pretty timely that we're chatting with Brad today because it is National Bean Day. So, Brad, thank you for coming on and helping us celebrate. So glad that you asked me to. So, let's kick things off talking about what you do as ASA president. What do your duties entail? And what was that process like getting to the presidency? So uh, first and foremost, I am a farmer, uh, farm with my wife and brother-in-laws and our son in Northeast Arkansas. Uh, We farm soybeans, rice, and wheat. And uh, around 2009, my wife and I were were nominated uh, for a Young Leadership Award offered by the American Soybean Association. And uh, that was our introduction into what the association is all about. Uh, Through leadership training, education, uh, mentoring, uh, trips to Washington, D.C., here we are, fast forward to the presidency. Uh, It allowed me to be uh, on my state board where I cycled through as president of the Arkansas Soybean Association. I am now a director on the American Soybean Association, along with 57 other volunteer farmer directors. What our duties are as a director is we basically represent 515,000 soybean farmers across the United States. We help create demand through products such as biodiesel, high-quality soybean meal, high-quality soybean oil, and and as you know, that's one of the reasons why soybeans are in such high demand now is the the demand for the oil that that is created from crushing that soybean. So we are a policy organization. As a 
board, we travel to Washington, D.C., along with our state staff and other farmer leaders. We visit with our senators and congressmen, and we discuss issues, uh, you know, most mostly about what's coming up this year on the farm bill, whether it would be crop insurance. It may be uh, talks about stepped up basis or taxes, maybe WOTUS. So there's many, many things that we as an association do uh, for ourselves and for our fellow farmers. Uh, and, and we have, have meetings uh, to discuss with our farmers what are the hot topics. So you talk about demand there, and that's definitely something that I wanted to hit on because I feel like I've been reading a ton of stories when it comes to soybean demand for 2022. And you talk about oil there, and I think that that's a major factor moving on here. So can we just dive a little bit deeper into what the demand outlook is going to be for soybeans this year? So worldwide, it, it, it looks good. We have foreign buyers of oil who have markets uh, for vegetable oil. It's, it's a cooking oil. Uh, that has been one of the strongest demands for oil. Uh, the biggest competitor would be palm oil. So palm oil production in countries such as Indonesia and Malaysia has actually been been uh, dropping. So our market share has increased and that has been uh, a driver of demand in on the world market. They're closer to home. As you know, soybeans provide a, a great source of a renewable fuel source. Uh, as farmers, we invest dollars through the checkoff, and, and that is a lot of the discovery of how soybean oil became a great uh, motor lubricant. And, and a great fuel additive. So when we talk about diesel fuel, the amount of diesel that is used in the, in the United States for transportation alone, whether it be semi-trucks or, or barges um, or even you know, ocean-going vessels or, or locomotives, we have a great opportunity to help reduce the petroleum-based fuels that are are used with the addition of soybean oil that we can grow here at home uh, on on local you know American farms, uh, which is uh, it's safer for the environment. It has a lower uh, lower uh, discharge of uh, pollutants, uh, much more efficient, and that is something that we we as farmers have built up over time, and and helped create that demand. In addition to that, we've also have high demand from both the East Coast, uh, Northeast in the heating oil market. So a lot of the homes up there are heated through a, a kerosene type of fuel, and now they have mandates uh, as high as 60% that includes soybean oil. So very excited about that. And you talk about being excited and kind of took the words right out of my mouth there because one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was what are you excited about for the future of the soybean industry? Maybe not even when it comes to demand, but some other things that might be going on that really pep you up when we're talking about the future for soybeans. So one thing about soybeans, they they are a complete protein. So they contain all of the essential amino acids for, for human life and, and most animal uh, production. So it alone uh, can satisfy the demand for protein. 
a lot of other plant proteins cannot state that, but soybeans are, uh, as we call here in Arkansas, a miracle soybean for that use. Uh, many, many Asian, Southeastern Asian countries uh, use soybeans uh, on a day-to-day basis through uh, such foods as, as tofu or, or natto or tempeh, and uh, not so much in the U.S., but we do use that very same soybean to feed livestock uh, that would produce animal protein uh, that most of our families do consume. So it has a wide adaptability from both a feedstock and a foodstock. So you obviously have a farm of your own that you mentioned there. So again, a kind of favorite question here on what's your favorite part about being a soybean producer and getting to be with your family there. So soybeans are are easy to rotate with, with corn, uh, it, primarily in the Midwest. In my part of the country, it can be rotated with also with corn, but also rice as we grow on our farm, and also cotton or peanuts or grain sorghum. It's a very versatile crop. It, it takes less uh, input cost. It, you know, it is a legume crop, so it produces its own nitrogen through a symbiotic relationship with bacteria. So uh, from a year like we are having right now, where fertilizer costs have just really skyrocketed, soybeans are a great option to, to reduce your uh, input cost and hopefully have a higher profitability. But soybeans are just, it's just a wonderful crop, very diverse, has so many products that it can go into. And, and most, of, most of us have it in our, in our cupboard right now labeled as vegetable oil. Well, Brad, it has certainly been a joy getting to know a little bit more about you, your family operation, and what's up and coming in the soybean industry. So I definitely appreciate you coming on and chatting with me today. Thank you for having me. Thanks again there to Brad for coming on and chatting with us today. I'm glad that we could celebrate National Bean Day accordingly, Delaney. Absolutely. And I am very sorry I missed out on that interview, but we celebrated anyways here on the podcast. Absolutely, Delaney. And I love keeping my eyes out on all of the national days. So folks, if you want to tune into any future episodes where we'll where we will be celebrating those, you can tune in at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.